how can that song not put a smile on your face, right? And I saw even you guys, you hard guys that were sitting like this by the end of the day. I saw you. I saw you were doing this. I love that, man. It's one of my um, favorite songs out of that movie. And really, it's a song about identity, right? It's being content with the way that God created us. And so good to have you back, Makala. Thank you so much for being here. Um, she is back from college. Um, the University of Florida stole her from us last year. I'm still a little bitter. Um, but, uh, but here's the thing. As we look at the greatest showman, how many of you saw it this last year? How many of you guys have seen it? Okay, a lot of you saw it. I have to, I have to make a confession here. Um, it was one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, and here's what's funny. Um, when I went to it, I had no idea it was a musical. No idea. I literally, all I knew was that Wolverine from X-Men, Hugh Jackman, all I knew was that he was in it. So I figured, how bad could it be? And then the very first scene of the movie is like a musical number. And I remember going, you are kidding me. This is a musical? And then Hugh Jackman starts singing, which is like a thousand shades of wrong in my book. I'm like, no, Wolverine does not sing. He slashes people. That's what he does. And so I'm really mad. The first half of the movie, the first half of that first song, I'm like, I hate this. I can't believe I got talked into coming to a, a musical of all things. And then like halfway through the, this first song, I'm kind of going, well, man, he doesn't suck anyways. Like he's not bad. And then by the end of the first song, I was like, I was, they had me. They had me. Hooked. I loved it. Every singing and dance number was so good. It was literally one of my favorite movies of the year. I absolutely loved the storyline. And just so that, in case you don't know it, it's loosely based on P.T. Barnum's story of uh, who went on to create the greatest show on earth, the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Now, how many of you as kids went to the Barnum and Bailey Circus? I mean, like this thing kind of took over our culture um, for decades and decades and decades. That was like a huge form of entertainment. And so this story is kind of Barnum's origin story, and what we find is it's a rags-to-riches story, which kind of captivate us. But during the beginning of his journey, seeds of shame and insecurity and emptiness were kind of sown deep into his identity. And so I want to show you four clips today of this movie. And the first one that we're going to watch, we're going to kind of get a peek into um, how some of those seeds were planted in him as a young boy that he was lower class and, and that he wasn't supposed to mingle with the upper class that he was other than. And this moment in his life as a young boy begins this lifelong pursuit of striving to be accepted by the elite of, of New York, um, of which later in this clip, he becomes successful, yet he's still reminded that he's nothing. So let's watch this. I understand, yes. Thank you so much, Mr. Jeffries, thank you. You'll have the money by the end of the day. Let's go. Phineas, hurry up. We're gonna miss the train. Stand up straight. Wipe that muck off. Pinky up. Arm extended, elbow out. Sit, never slur. Pinky in the air. Arm extended, elbow out. Keep your cup level. Gently lower your cup. Shall we do it again? Pinky in the air. Arm extended, elbow out. 
brave for me. Charity, come here. Your dress. Is this how we've taught you to behave? It's my fault, sir. I made her laugh. Well, thank you for your honesty. Stay away from my daughter. this one. She'll be back. Sooner or later, she'll tire of your life, of having nothing, and she'll come running back home. Uh, I'm just going to warn you, every clip we watch that he's in, you want to slap him, okay? You just do, so just warning there, he's going to make you angry. Um, but what's interesting about the story is Barnum becomes convinced that if he just had money and if he just had fame and fine things and power and position and prestige that he would be happy and that he would finally feel worthy and, and he would matter in the world. He really became convinced of that. And so throughout the movie is Barnum trying to erase who he was told he was as a kid, his stigma of the poor days. He wants to extinguish the identity that was given to him from, as a lower class citizen. And he begins to make a name for himself by collecting some of the, the bizarre people in the world and pulling them into this thing called the circus. He collects the misfits. He collects the, the, the bearded lady. Um, the, he collects the conjoined twins, the do dog boy, the, the guy tattooed from head to toe along with death-defying performers like trapeze artists and fire breathers and acrobats and he pulls them into this thing called the circus and people start flocking to it and he starts to make money like hand over fist and becomes someone as far as wealth goes. He raises his stature, yet he's constantly reminded that he'll never become more than he has always been. Just a poor man in rich clothes and this becomes the focus of his life and that really is the story of the movie. The focus of his life shifts to becoming a part of the elite, pursuing um, achievement and wealth and fame at all costs, all the things he always wanted, and it really ends up being a futile attempt to find happiness and change the identity that he was given as a young boy. So there's two themes that I want to kind of pull out today, um, and I want to use The Greatest Showman and the story of the prodigal son, um, kind of like parallel train tracks that, that, that give us, uh, and we want to take a look at the idea of, of human identity and the pursuit of happiness through the eyes of Jesus, okay? And that's what we're going to do through the, down those two tracks of The Greatest Showman and the prodigal son. Now, let me, uh, we've kind of headed down the track of the, of the Greatest Showman. Let me catch you up on the prodigal son in the book of Luke, Jesus tells a story of a young man who begins the empty pursuit after um, uh, money, power, fine things, women, and alcohol, and he makes some discoveries and learns lessons the hard way, and, and we're actually shared those lessons um, uh, through Jesus' story. In Luke 15, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, 
Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, already there's a lot more going on than what you think. If you just were to read that, um, this was a respect-based culture. You didn't do that to your elders. Um, your dad, the, the father figure in a family, was the patriarch. You didn't disrespect him like that. Um, the younger son goes to him and asks for his inheritance. And if you want to know how bad that was, how egregious that was, um, just pick up a phone. If your parents are still alive, pick up a phone and go, hey, I'd like my half now. Just, just try it. Try it. See how they feel after you do that. Just say, you know, I wish you were dead, but you're not yet, but I'd like to start living like you were. So could you please just give me your half of everything you own that's coming to me when you do die? That's what the son does in a, in a culture that highly respects the father figure. How dishonoring and how hurtful and incredulously the father obliges. The father gives him his half. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And if you want to know what wild living is, it's everything you can imagine. It's fast camels, fast women, lots of bling, partying, everything else that goes along. No doubt he made a lot of friends along the way because of the money that he was throwing around. And then in verse 14, things take a turn for the worse. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And, and it's, for some reason, this young man wasn't happy at home. He thought he would find happiness and fulfillment through pleasure and partying and wealth. His dad didn't know anything. He knew better. And he ends up, in a, in a, in a short amount of time, alone with no one. He ran out of money. And when he ran out of money, his friends ran out of friendliness he resorts to feeding pigs, and he's so bad off, he longs to eat what the pigs are eating. The prodigal son learns his lesson the hard way. He realizes that what he thought was going to make him happy has left him feeling more alone, more poor, and more empty than he did before. Now, in these next scenes, we see Barnum on stage with this famous singer, Jenny Lind, that he hired, and he hired her because having the, uh, the respect of the general public wasn't enough. He hired her because he wanted the respect of the elites from the wealthy. And as we're about to see, that he found out no matter how big the house, no matter how, much, how loud the applause, what he thought would make him happy wasn't enough to fill the empty, emptiness inside of him. Nor satisfy his desire for the respect and, the, and, and, and to fit in with the, the elite that he so longed to be a part of. So let's watch this moment where he is starting to learn this hard lesson. New York society will never accept us. If they did, they'd have to stop judging and actually do something with their lives. This isn't about me. Oh, so it's different than everything else then? I just want her to be proud of who she is, of her family. Uh, she is proud.
Jenny, this is my wife, Charity, and our girls. Of course, and I've heard so much about you. And your father tells me you're a fan of the ballet. Yes, I'm studying ballet. Oh. Are you? Of course I am. Yeah, of course she is. Oh. And what about you, Ellen? You look like a princess, ma'am. Oh. <laughs> I have to admit, Barnum, she is remarkable. Yeah, enough to bring joy to the most joyless critic, isn't she? Hmm. And in the hands of a real purveyor of the arts, she could be something in this yeah. country. Shame. Uh, She's fallen in with you. You really are better on the page, Mr. Bennett. How does that is to believe? Oh, Mr. Barnum, yes. I'd love to meet Miss Lynn. And you Don't will you meet Miss Lynn. If you just give me a moment, I think Phineas. She... Yes. You've done well. Thank you. Allow me to introduce you. Uh, excuse me, Jenny. I'd like you to meet Charity's parents, Mr. Oh. and Mrs. Hallett. Ah, pleasure. How do you do? Very nice. Nice to meet you. Mother. Hello, dear. <clears throat> are these... Yes, yes. Those are your granddaughters. Phineas, not here. Not here? You afraid I'm going to embarrass your parents in front of their fancy friends? I, I really don't think I have that power. An insignificant man like me, who was clearly destined to lead an insignificant life. All that fortune is still just the tailor's boy. Get out. Well, Phineas, I believe I told you that free champagne is a recipe for disaster. Charity. Now, would everyone please raise... Charity. ...their glasses. To Mr. Barnum, who has shown once and for all that a man's station is limited only by his imagination. Thank you. Thank you. It's hard to understand wealth and privilege when you're born into it. <laughs> I sometimes don't feel like I belong here. You? I was born out of wedlock. And that brought shame upon my family. And life always manages to remind me that I don't deserve a place in this world. And that leaves a hole that no ovation can ever fill. First it was buying a house on the same street as my parents, then meeting the queen, then bringing Jenny Lynn, then my father the other night. When will it ever be enough for you? I'm doing this for Caroline and Helen. Look around you. They have everything. You don't understand. I do no, understand. No, you don't understand. How could you? My father was treated like dirt. I was treated like dirt. My children will not be. You don't need everyone to love you, Finn. Just a few good people. I know that. great line, that line where she just says, you don't need everyone to love you. Just a few good people. I think that's such a great thought because of how often we pursue happiness and significance. 
through means that God never intended us to. So often we pursue identity and try and get our identity from things that God never intended us to get our identity from. At the very moment that he achieved his greatest success, you just kind of saw Barnum's reminded that he's still just a tailor's boy. He's reminded that what he thought would fill him up didn't give him what it promised it would because it never can. And so as the movie goes on, all sorts of bad things happen to him as he kind of raises his station in life to this high thing. Things start falling apart. Um, as he pursues success and fortune, he ends up losing it all. His theater burns down to the ground. His um, wife and kids actually do exactly what the dad said in the opening scene. They actually leave him and move back in with the dad because things had gotten so bad between them. And Barnum, Barnum comes to this realization of what really matters. He comes to this moment in his life where a change needs to happen. And it's a musical, so of course, what do they do at this moment? They sing, right? So they, 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 they sing, and I'm excited to show you this next clip because it's so good, but what I want you to focus in on is the words that they're singing. And listen to, uh, listen to Barnum as he confesses out loud the lessons that he's learned such a hard way um, as many of us. That's kind of sometimes the only times we learn lessons is the hard way. And so um, before we show you this clip, we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, if you guys can come on down. Um, for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. For those of you that are new, let the basket go by. We're not interested in your money. This service is our gift to you. Um, I hope that, that you love it and that you walk out of here filled up from it. Um, and so uh, for those of you that are giving online as well, Thank you very much. And while we do that, um, we're going to watch this next scene in The Greatest Showman. Figured you'd end up here, feeling sorry for yourself. Folks, if you've come to get paid, the money's gone, all of it. Nothing Shut left to Shut up, give you. Barnum. You just don't get it. Our own mothers were ashamed of us. Hit us our whole lives. Then you pull us out of the shadows. And now you're giving up on us too. Maybe you are a fraud. Maybe it was just about making a buck. But you gave us a real family. And the circus, that was our home. We want our home back. I saw the sun begin to dim and felt that winter wind blow cold. A man learns who was there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold. 
Cause from that rubble, what remains can only be what's true. If all was lost, there's more I gained. Cause it led me back to you. Drink champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praised my name. But those were someone else's dreams. The pitfalls of the man I became. For years and years, I chased their cheers. A crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and see you here, I remember who all this was for And from now on These eyes will not be blinded by the lights From now on Watch, wait until tomorrow starts tonight It starts tonight
I brought hardship on you and our family. You warned me. And I wouldn't listen. I just... I wanted to be more than I was. I never wanted anything but the man I fell in love with. Let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart. However big, however small, from now on, from now on, service last time. I'm, I'm getting old. I'm fighting back tears every one of these clips, you know. It's like, oh my gosh, what's happened to me? But there's just something that happens when we humble ourselves, right? It's, just, it's disarming. I love that moment where he just comes to his senses. That's what you just saw, where he just goes, you know what? She was right. And he humbly goes back to her. And What does he find when he gets home? He finds a wife and a family that never stopped loving him, no matter what he did, no matter what amount of applause he ever got. He, they still loved him, and they loved him for who he was, not for what he could become. He was exactly the man that they needed. And there's this moment in the prodigal son where a very similar thing happens. Verse 17, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy. The key phrase, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And I love that phrase, when he came to his senses, when he realized what his life had become, when he realized that his plan wasn't working. In fact, it had failed. And he had lost everything that truly mattered. It's then that he decides to humble himself and come back home. And in verse 20, we find the father's response. But while he was still a long way off... His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And there's so much going on in this verse, still a long way off. What does that mean? That means that the father was looking for him all along. The father was waiting to see the son's head just pop over the rise, coming back home. And as soon as he sees it, he runs like full out sprint to the son. And now, now he's going to kick out of this. Think about it from the son's perspective, right? You have been gone a long time and you blew everything. Your father probably knows about it. And the moment he sees you from a long way off, he starts running towards you. What are you thinking in that moment? You're thinking, he's going to kill me. 
I've never seen my dad run his entire life, and here he is, robe flailing behind him, full speed. He's going, he is so angry at me. That's what the son is expecting when he gets there. He had to think, he had to think the, the worst. But when his dad gets there, rather than, rather than berate him, right, rather than point his finger in his face, rather than tell him how stupid he was, his father throws his arms around him and kisses him. And the son is so shocked, he doesn't even register what's going on. So he begins his, his speech, right? In verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. There's that loss of identity again. I'm not even worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And here's the lesson from the prodigal son. The father in the story is God. And uh, every one of us in some way, we're the son in this story. We have taken our inheritance from our father. We've taken our life. We've come up with our own plan. And many of us spend our life on pleasing ourselves, on trying, intending to purchase or find happiness through any means possible. We're searching for identity from the created, to which I believe Jesus is saying us to, to us today, you can search your whole life searching for happiness, pleasure, and identity through the created. And when all is said and done, you will be alone and confused and angry. Or you can find your sense of joy and happiness and worth and identity through the creator who made you and loves you and has already shown you how much he loves you by sending his son to die on the cross for you. Because what if Jesus is everything you've ever wanted in your life? What if Jesus is everything you've ever needed in your life? And he's right here in front of you right now. I want to show you one last clip from the movie. And it really is of a choice that Barnum makes at the end of his life to change what his life is about. He changes the focus of his life and chooses to find his sense of joy and worth in a different place. So let's watch this. Thanks, said now. Emphatically. Repeatedly. I don't think there's a banker left in the country I can fool into loaning me more money, so. I'm really sorry to disappoint you all. Don't worry, Barnum. We've gotten used to it by now. <laughs> you know, Barnum, when I first met you, I had an inheritance claim, an invitation to every party in town. And now, thanks to you, all that's gone. All that's left is friendship, love, 
and a work that I adore. You brought joy into my life. Into all our lives. Here, here. Bunny the bank will take joy as collateral. They may not. But I will. I own 10% of the show. Knowing who I was working for, I had the good sense to take my cut weekly. Philip, I can't let you gamble it on me. I say you can. Don't turn sensible on us now. Partners. 50-50. Partners. The only thing is, I don't know how we're going to afford a building. We don't need a building. Real estate in Manhattan is a terrible investment. Why, I can get land down by the docks for almost nothing. All we need is a tent. Watching my girls grow up. The show must go on.
دیدی gets me every time because Barnum for the first time makes a choice to choose the love of his family over the pursuit of all the stuff the world has to offer all the accolades and the achievements and the and the fortune because in the end what really matters um, most is always who not what it's who more than what And both stories together really tell us that the most important thing are, are God and others. What Jesus said all along, the greatest commandment, the most important things in life are centered around your relationship with your heavenly Father and your relationships with other people. And just like Barnum did and just like the, the prodigal son did, we have a choice to make. Are we going to squander the life that we've been given by God by, by, by chasing what we think will fulfill the desires of our hearts Or are we going to come home and choose the love of God expressed through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? And I'll just tell you, I believe if you and I could sit eye to eye and knee to knee with Jesus Christ right now, I believe what he would say to you and what he is saying to you is that everything you ever want and everything you ever need is here right in front of you. Through relationship with Jesus. There's nothing else that this world can give you that will affect you on a soul level like a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's through a relationship with him that we begin to find our identity, our true identity. We don't have to chase what other people say about us anymore. We can actually receive that from our heavenly Father as we're reminded in Galatians 4, 7, you're a son or a daughter of the king, so you are no longer a slave to the pursuits of this world. But you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir to the kingdom. And so for some of you in here, if I can be so bold to speak into your life, you've forgotten who you are. You've just forgotten that you're a son or a daughter of the king. gotten off track and you've focused on things below instead of things above. You've been pursuing the created, not the creator. Believing that it'll fill you up and do what only God can do and that is give you joy that bubbles up from inside and so maybe today is your day to remember who you are an heir to the riches of heaven. You don't have to strive for the love of the Father. You're loved. You can rest in that. You can find your sense of identity and fulfillment in him and him alone. For others of you, maybe you are the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter. Maybe you walked away from God a long time ago or you've never turned towards him. Well, maybe today is your day to return home. Maybe, your day is to, maybe today is your day to take a step. And what you find when you take a step towards God is he comes running one step towards him and he is running to you, not to berate you, not to bring up every wrong thing you've ever done, but just to put his arms around your neck and kiss you and welcome you to the family that's always been your family, whether you believe it or not, whether you know God or not. 
then maybe today is your day to come back home. And so I want to pray for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, thank you for today and for just incredible stories like the greatest showman that actually bring up truths that you shared thousands of years ago in your word. God, I pray for those of us in the room that maybe have forgotten who we are. And we've been chasing everything this world has to offer to find fulfillment. We've gotten off track. Lord, I pray that you would help those of us in the room that are right there turn back to you and rest in the identity that you've already given them as a son or a daughter of the king. And Lord, I pray for those in this room that today is their day to turn back to you for the first time. And if that's you right now, all you have to do is invite Jesus into your life. Ask him to forgive you. And he says he will walk with you for the rest of the days of your life and give you a new identity with the power to live out that identity in a new way. And you can accept him right now, right where you sit. Jesus, thank you that you throughout history have reminded us how loved we are and how much you care about us. God, help us to rest in that as a church, as people, as individuals, and as children of yours. In your holy name, 